Welcome to this episode of Specialty Lenses Unplugged, where the goal is to see the specialty contact lens field thrive and grow for patients, for their families, for eye care providers, and for those companies that develop and fabricate the lenses, devices, and other products that make it all happen. Each of our episodes features guests where we get to learn about their area of expertise, as well as to get them know better by delving into their professional lives. I'm Craig Norman, and as your host, I get the distinct pleasure of bringing to you insights from world authorities in the contact lens field. This evening, we have two extremely interesting guests. James Diem graduated from Wilkes University with a bachelor's in biology and went on to the Pennsylvania College of Optometry, where he was the first student to graduate with an OD degree and an MPH. His MPH coursework was focused on brain injury and vision rehabilitation. Upon graduation, Dr. Diem founded the Sclerolens Institute, which focuses on providing sclerolens treatments to individuals. He is active in the Pennsylvania Optometric Society and as an optometry student, was the AOSA national president. Dr. Diem consults for several dry eye and contact lens companies and lectures both nationally and internationally on dry eye, sclerolenses, practice management, and brain injury. Welcome to Specialty Lenses Unplugged. How are you doing tonight, James? What is up, Craig? It's a real honor for you to have me here tonight. <laughs> oh, definitely. I couldn't have said that better myself. <laughs> uh, everybody says thanks for having me, so I wanted to be a jerk and turn it around. So, yeah. Thanks for having me. Well, you, you succeeded, so this is perfect. <laughs> so. Our second guest is Dr. Royal Habibi, who pursued a, career in pursued a career in optometry at the University of California, Berkeley, and then completed specialized training with a fellowship in medical contact lenses at KCI Institute in Portland, Oregon. She currently practices with Eye Associates Northwest in Seattle, uh, where her special interests include medically necessary contact lenses, ocular surface disease, and the anterior segment. Dr. Abibi is on the forefront of research regarding medically necessary contact lenses and is an education consultant with Valley Contacts. She also serves on the Sclerolens Education Society Fellowship Committee. Welcome to Specialty Lenses Unplugged, Roya. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That's, again, polite. thank you. Yeah, polite. very polite. Very, very polite. And the one thing that I did not mention in either of your bios is that uh, the two of you co-host the Optometric Podcast, Try Not to Blink. We will get to that uh, in depth as we uh, uh, move along. Uh, but to begin with, I'd just like to have our audience uh, get to meet you a little bit. And Roya, let's start with you if we can. So let's do it. Ladies first. Uh, uh, exactly. <laughs> I noticed that in your bio, you didn't mention um, undergrad. Where did you go to school for that? I went to Clemson University in South oh. Carolina. Clemson. Uh, Let me just say. School, you might know them. They won the national championship a few times uh, in football. Uh, okay. <laughs> let me let me just say that I am three miles north of the Notre Dame football stadium as we speak. So oh, this play. is this is a touchy little area <laughs> considering what happened at the end of last what season. What happened again? Oh yeah, I remember that was a, that was a good game. Oh yeah, and I'm this kidding. is why we don't like uh, Clemson, <laughs> and this is why your part of the discussion is now going to end. James, what's going on with you? <laughs> 
Well, what can I say? Uh, life is good. I'm in northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, Love and life. I'm in a private practice here. We have two locations, uh, two beautiful children, a wonderful wife. Um, uh, really can't complain. I just, um, if you would have told me uh, what's going on in my life right now and the opportunities that this uh, profession has afforded me uh, five years ago, I would have told you you're absolutely crazy. So, you know, I just keep on ending up in the right place at the right time. And, um, people keep on giving me wonderful opportunities and I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, that, that's terrific. And I mean, frankly, you and Roya both have accomplished really a lot in a very short period of time and you should feel great about that. So Roya, I am going to come back to you. I just hope that you cooled off a little bit since that <laughs> yeah. little snippy episode of yours there regarding <laughs> Clemson and, um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so here's where we queue up the Notre Dame fight song. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Um, but Roy, t- tell me what what path led you to optometry? You know, I knew that I wanted to be something in healthcare. Probably some like imprint that my parents had on me, although neither of which are in medical care. Um, but I originally was in undergrad for pre-med and I had a pretty unique class when I was in, in undergrad that they, um, it was a lecture series. So every week you went in and a different medical specialist was talking. So we had all of the best doctors in the state of South Carolina coming in to talk like, uh, spine specialists, cardio specialists. I mean, every specialty in medicine came in to talk to us and all of them kind of said, if you can find something else you might like just as much, do that instead. And I really kind of was shocked by that. Like they all seemed like they really liked their jobs, but the fact that people were saying like, do a different job instead of like trying to boast or like Mm -hmm. up their job was a little symbol for me. So I actually ended up taking a year off after finishing taking the MCAT and doing all the prep stuff for that and lived at the beach was a bartender. It was great. I lived in Charleston, South Carolina at the time and then ended up shadowing first my dentist hated that and then my randomly i picked an optometrist out of the phone book because actually my parents are both emetropic and didn't even have an like never had had an eye exam and i loved her job i loved everything about this doc even though she was in kind of like a small it's like a chain in the dc area but uh i just randomly decided i just i should do this and that's kind of where it sort of led and i never looked back and so i'm I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to help people without the liability of, I mean, obviously it can happen where we could cause someone to lose vision or be the last one someone sees, but also most of the time our experiences are quite happy and that's more rewarding. Yeah, for sure. And and what pointed you to Berkeley? I wanted to be in a big city, so I applied to only schools that were near bigger cities. Clemson's in a small town, so I wanted to have a different experience. So I applied to Boston, uh, LA, Berkeley. Uh, what else did I apply to? New York. That mm-hmm. All big cities. And then I got in and that's ended up where I, I chose Berkeley just because I wanted to be in the Bay Area. And I, I liked the name of Berkeley. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. yeah, it worked out. Well, I think you can make a case. It's a terrific place, number one, for all the reasons you just said. 
but I think in general, the optometry schools in the U.S. are all pretty high quality. Absolutely. You know, it takes the new ones a little bit of time to get off their True. feet underneath them, but everybody is the new guy at one time. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it just takes a little while for uh, that to happen. Definitely. So, James, what about you? What what pointed you down this path? Did, did you have a family member in optometry or no? What, what's uh, the story? Similar to, to Roy, actually, I'm one of the and I'm just pulling this uh, statistic out of thin air. 20% of individuals who are completely amotropic, spherical and orthophoric, just perfect eyeballs. Uh, no reason to have gone, you know, to to an eye doctor my entire life. I did go you know, sometime in grade school and I got some low powered reading glasses and never really needed them, didn't use them. So I never really had that impactful personal experience from an eye doctor. But when I was in undergrad, I was shadowing various healthcare professionals and really just didn't know what direction to go. But I knew I wanted to do something in the healthcare field and I needed a job. And so I looked in the local you know, newspaper, job listings. And I, one of the things that I saw was pre-test patients and it that was all it said, pre-test patients. And it was, um, you know, there's a number, I called it and it, it ended up being a retail eyeglass chain. So I, I went, I interviewed them and they were so, uh, so desperate. They hired me on the spot. And I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I started out as a receptionist. I just needed a job and I wanted to do something in the healthcare field. I, I also, um, got interviews at like a local hospital and, and uh, I didn't have any experience and didn't get any offers at any other place. So got in there right away. Um, they were given, you know, decent hourly rate. So it was great. And um, I worked there all through, through uh, uh, undergrad and worked my way into being an optician. I was an ABO certified optician while I was there and uh, just really, really enjoyed it. And it was really interesting because the doctor that worked there, hated optometry. He hated optometry, but he appreciated having somebody with a little bit of excitement for what they were doing there. So he would mm -hmm. pull me in from time to time and show me, hey, this is something that's kind of cool and so on and so forth. But the optician that was there really, really loved their craft and uh, was a, a licensed optician in New York. Pennsylvania is not a licensed state. So he really pushed me to go and get my ABO certificate or um, uh, yeah, certificate. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. you didn't need it to work there, and um, I, I at the same time shadowed a private practice optometrist who was doing what I could see myself doing. So that was how it all, you know, came to be. And um, I, I knew then that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, those those are two really terrific stories. Um, so, uh, Jimmy, if we can just stay with you for a second, so sure. Uh, that path leads you along to going to PCO, PCO of course. Yeah. Uh, I was ready to spit Salas out, but PCO is always in the back of my mind from first. Yeah. Um, it is Salas. Yeah. It is Salas. Yep. Yeah. And uh, you went through that, and you, you did not have the traditional contact lens oriented path. I did not. Uh, and can you just chat about that a little bit? I would love to. Yeah. So. You know, I think um, it's it's interesting being sort of thrust into this contact lens specialty world, you know, really after graduation, to be completely honest. Um, I am definitely the odd man out. You know, we're, I'm at a lot of 
mixers and events and, you know, meeting you and be, being at various things. It's, it's usually individuals who have done a contact lens residency or, you know, been in uh, contact lens specialty practice for a number of years. And, and so they're part of this little club or fraternity. I was not ever part of that club or fraternity. I just sort of, you know, came to the party and, you know, no one's kicked me out yet, even though maybe they've tried. Uh, it, and so, you know, uh, how it's all came to be was I was a fourth year student. I was on a rotation. I was actually in uh, Montana, an Indian health reservation. I was at a, um, a, a site where there was another student from the college of, um, Southern college of optometry, and they had a contact lens kit with them. And as you mentioned, I was the AOSA president. And so we were working, you know, with various industry, um, uh, interests to try and uh, improve the quality of education at the schools and colleges of optometry and, and get industry involved. And so here I saw this school had a kit of specialty contact lenses, specifically scleral lenses, um, that was given to every one of their students. And so I said, wow, that's awesome. I wonder if we could make that, you know, a, a, a nationwide thing or, you know, try and develop a program around that that could then help the American Optometric Student Associations. That was really my passion was, you know, sort of the political activity associated mm -hmm. with optometry and pushing the envelope forward with this profession. And so I reached out to that company and, um, you know, we developed a relationship while I was a fourth year student. And, um, you know, I, I got a kit from them and, uh, you know, they said, yeah, sure, we'll get you a kit and we could start talking about different ideas about, you know, making this a nationwide thing. So I had the kit and um, I started practice right away. Um, and I remember I didn't even have my license yet and I was working under somebody else's license and a patient came in that had keratoconus and uh, they didn't know they had keratoconus. I barely knew they had keratoconus, but I could, <laughs> I, I did. But anyway, the, the uh, receptionist or the technician came in, couldn't autorefract the patient and um, he had AccuView Oasis lenses on, best corrected to 2050. And I remembered I had those lenses and um very little experience with the lenses, popped them on the patient's eye. And I believe that that was the first time that patient saw 2020. Wow. I really truthfully believe it. He cried in the chair and I got tingles. And every time I tell that story, I get tingles. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, nothing I do, I do little. So I, I, I knew at that moment I wanted to go all out. So I went to the GSLS website. I listened to every webinar there was. Every meeting I went to, I went to every contact lens lecture there was. I, I researched endlessly online and I, I learned how to fit these lenses. And, um, you know, with the support that I had from the, the relationship that I described to you, you know, it just evolved and blew up and and it became you know a specialty that you know has been very successful in the private practice that i was a part of and still am a part of okay that is a terrific story you know that a lot of this is timing uh, but in many cases it's the combination of timing and drive of course you didn't end up being the student president without some level of drive <laughs> and i noticed also with your bio based on you know, what you happen to be running away from with all of those marathons, uh, that, <laughs> yeah. uh, that there's some level of drive there uh, as well. So I'm going to come back to your practice in just a second, sure. but I'd like to go to Roya. And so, Roya, you had the more traditional 
um, mode of working your way into the contact lens field that although you didn't have a classic quote-unquote residency, uh, you had a fellowship at you know one of the premier institutions in the U.S. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So when I originally was deciding do I need to do a residency or not, I kind of was this, you know, I was always in school thinking I'm going to go to private practice. I don't need anything extra. I don't need any of that. I can learn what I want to kind of like Jimmy's personality. Like if there's something I want to learn, I can just learn it. Like I know that um, there may be mentors that I could utilize, but like if I want to figure something out, I figure it out. So anyway, as I start researching a little bit and looking into some of the programs, mostly out of curiosity, I decided that a contact lens residency in any form of that was one of the few things that would take way longer for me to learn on my own and cost me more. And Everyone has a story, like Jimmy mentioned, of a patient that they get to interact with when they first experience what a GP lens can provide for a patient. So, of course, I had a couple of those, and I was hooked a bit. So the reason I actually chose KCI, there were, like I said, a couple. um, I applied to most of, well, not most, but I applied to a couple of the different programs that I thought were going to give me what I wanted. I sort of researched and reached out to almost all of them. And what I realized I wanted was hands-on time and less teaching time, which sounds kind of maybe selfish a little bit, but though teaching was a little bit of the, of the um, course or the year, most of my experience was direct learning myself. And actually I got a day a week with the cornea department there, which OHSU is a uh, ophthalmology well has an ophthalmology program that's what KCI Institute is mm-hmm. their ophthalmology school and so we spend a, a day a week in the cornea department which is huge so any weird cornea thing that I see whether it be an infection or a transplant I've seen with with someone who that's their specialty and then also there was half of the year we spent with a day a week or a half day a week with the pediatric ophthalmologist and the the pediatric optometrist that fits a lot of their contact lenses there. So I thought it was a unique kind of tertiary set, tertiary eye care center that was really focused on me getting the most hands-on experience of me kind of going through the trudges of learning myself. And that's kind of why I ended up choosing there and going there. And every program has great resources and mentors. So Kind of like Jimmy was saying, it really is sort of like a fraternity or sorority that you join. Yeah. You get to know all these people. I mean, GSLS, the program that you guys have referenced, was one of the standout moments in my learning experience, especially for that year, because of how much you learn so fast. It's kind of like what Jimmy did himself, just re- listening to every single yeah. video. But you get it all hands-on. Plus, you get to talk to the people who actually are doing the seminar. So. Anyways, that's sort of why I chose my path. And I really do feel like right away, I mean, it got me my job. And my job, I work in a multidisciplinary practice in Seattle. And I literally was just, I kind of moved to Seattle on accident. I had planned to move back to the San Francisco Bay Area. And so I had done a ton of work finding jobs there. And then accidentally, long story, but moved to Seattle because my husband's family's from here. And I have no job lined up. I have no connections yet. So I just sent out applications, essentially, with like, a bio on myself, why I would be good and why I liked their practice sort of thing. And I got my job just out of probably my experience and probably a little bit of me just being mm-hmm. outgoing mm-hmm. and forward. But, but yeah, it, 
I definitely wouldn't change what I did. That being said, I'm sure people can do it. Obviously, James is thriving at that, but uh, yeah. it's just it just takes more effort. And if you're not driven yourself, you're not going to do it. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, getting a job, getting especially the first job, it's all timing. Like oh, so, yeah. I meant this like the third time tonight I've said timing is an issue, but you know that you may be the best suited for a particular job and the employer may want you more than anything um, over and above anybody else. But if there's no job opening, <laughs> there's no match. Absolutely. And, and so that that part is really a negative. And I've always said that, you know, one of the beauties of the Casey program for the fellowship is first of all, Derek, Louie, and the rest of the team there, they get first choice of who they want because they can circumvent the whole residency matching system. <laughs> and really, it's a fantastic thing, yes. uh, you know, that they can get the pick of the litter, if you will, yeah, if that's the way they want it to work. And if, you know, that both sides think that that's uh, really a great thing. And then I've told this to many people that had asked me about going there uh, is that, my comment is, if you want to join an ophthalmology practice, you can't have any better street cred than there. Oh, yeah. Uh, that many ophthalmologists may not know where or who ICO is, but they all know where uh, Casey's at. So, Right. Even in a private practice, like, and this is like any residency in general, but like if I was to go work by myself and I something came along that was especially cornea related, I would be comfortable in managing that as I saw other people doing, as opposed to if I was in practice straight out of school and saw, you know, a corneal transplant even are really weird, especially if yeah. they're fresh. And especially if they need a BCL replaced, it's like, right. oh God, I can't do that. But that's not, it doesn't, you don't flinch after seeing enough of weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because the main thing you understand is what to treat and what to refer. Definitely. First, if you don't have that experience, you want to refer everything <laughs> because you're not exactly as sure what to do. Exactly. Hey, so, so Jimmy, when you finally ended up joining a practice, and as you like to, to talk about in your bio that you started the Scleral Lens Institute, was that a way for you to differentiate yourself in the community? Was that the game plan behind that? Absolutely. It's all it's all marketing. <laughs> it's all marketing. Self there really was nothing, you know, no new building or signage. I developed that, you know, as 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 the idea evolved. But yes, it was a Facebook presence. It was a a website landing page. It was, you know, immediate uh, street cred. And yeah, if you build it, they will come. That was sort of my my thought process there. And and you know, when I started in practice, I didn't take over for anybody or you know get given any patients i had to build that so you know this was a way to differentiate and you hear this all the time right you hear you know specialty contact lens experts always going out and saying to to you know other doctors or new doctors in particular and students you know this is a great way to differentiate yourself this is a great way to sell yourself well guess what that takes work yeah. you know in the middle of hazelton pennsylvania nobody's banging down doors to get fit with scleral lenses so I needed to go out and tell people about this and tell them how unique it was and how special it was. And so that was the idea behind it. And, yeah. and I did that. That's terrific. It reminded me, I remember talking to a marketing guy one time who said, when you want to build a presence like that in a small community, like you're talking about, Jimmy, 
and he said for your um, uh, home page, uh, whether we relate to your Facebook presence or whether it relate to a website, um, go and get a picture of yourself taken in front of the biggest, nicest office building in town. And then just have your name below it that says James nice. D. Scleral Love Lens it. Institute. Right? There it you is. haven't made any claims, <laughs> but everybody's looking at it thinking, wow, this yeah. is great. Very and, impressive. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and the classic marketing uh, uh, kind of trick to be able to make that happen. So I would yeah. like to build on what you just said, though, because kind of the theme of this season's um, episodes of the uh, Unplug series is relative to building a specialty lens practice. So besides knocking on doors, how did you go about that? Did you try to gain referrals from optometry, ophthalmology, the medical community, all of the above? What was the story? Yeah, everybody. And, and uh, you know, I think my first real focus and my best referrals are, are and have been, believe it or not, optometry in my community. Um, and and I think it's just the way the community is set up. I have, you know, a number of retail establishments, a, a few independent groups, and then there's two or three really big group ophthalmology practices. So those big group ophthalmology practices uh, sort of keep everything in in their own mm-hmm. house. So I don't I don't really get much action from them um even though you know they're they're aware of it now the other thing is that in our practice um i started out as an associate and i bought half of it a couple of years ago in our practice we have a cornea specialist and a retina specialist that to the outside public look like they are we're all together but really they just rent space from us once a week um so nobody was doing this in his the cornea specialists practice or uh you know um our practice so i got you know lucky <laughs> really you yeah. know because nobody was doing it you know for him or with him and he knew about it but it just wasn't you know a, a primary interest so you know the word has spread but you know in the beginning really the the most fruitful ones were my retail optometry gigs um so i would like I was saying, I wasn't taking over for anybody. So in the beginning, there were days where I only saw, saw five, 10 patients. So when I had free time, I was taking donuts out to, um, you know, local optometry offices or buying lunch or getting the front office staff, um, you know, coffee. And, and I still do that regularly. Um, and uh, I think that doing that has been the most fruitful um, way of, of gaining referrals and becoming a, a, a friendly face in, in my community, especially for other colleagues. Yeah, that's terrific. And I can envision, based on what you told us tonight, that for you, going into a retail setting to talk to people didn't bother you at all because you were familiar with that environment early Absolutely. on in your career in one of those early jobs. Yep. Yeah, no, I'm... I'm you know, it's kind of like home to me. And I'm, and, and I think where a lot of uh, our colleagues and in particular people in the specialty lens arena are maybe a little, Ooh, I don't know how I feel about, you know, like a Walmart or America's best right. or whatever you name, whatever you want. But um, to me, it was home, you know, and, and I was yeah. very grateful, so grateful for the experience that I got there. And that was, yeah, that was something that I shared with, 
all of those people from the get-go you know like yeah. guess what i started out as a receptionist guess what i you know have my abo and and i worked at you know america's best uh, 40 minutes from here you know so and i know so and so and so you know so that's that's how the world works you know is, yeah. is connections and comfort and um you know being able to trust people so yeah. that was uh, helpful well, and here's the other part of this is it doesn't matter what setting uh, an optometrist is in. They all graduated from, you know, one of the 20 plus schools in the U.S. primarily or Canada. And, you know, that they're just positioned into a particular job that may not allow them to see the kind of patients that you have. And, you know, it's designed to refer them to somewhere. And, and why not you? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll say one one other quick thing is that um, right from the get-go, I got lucky again, where my local optometric association, and, and this is probably true for anybody listening, they're looking for people to speak, yep. you know, and that was something that I wanted yep. to do. I wanted to be a lecturer. I wanted to work in industry. I didn't know what exactly, but I knew that was something that I wanted to do. And um, so right from the get-go, I was asked to do some talks and I said, you know, this is this is something I'm really excited about. I want to talk about this. So right from the get-go in my community, I was looked at as somebody who knew what they were talking about with yeah. scleral lenses. Now, whether that was true or not, you know, we could debate that. But <laughs> um, I learned. Well, you knew more than the audience. That's, That's all that it. matters. <laughs> so, Raya, when you joined the practice that uh, you're in, were there other optometrists there? There was one other optometrist in my group at the time, but we were, well, still are super unique in that we have two contact lens opticians, your same breed. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they were, been with our practice, one of them over 30 years now. So she has a large practice of her own within the practice, of course, a large following of her own. So it was a little bit of not stepping on toes, but, you know, figuring out, learning each other's corks and sure. how, not making sure I didn't uh, offend or, you know, come in to, to like too, with too many ideas of change and whatnot. So that was a little bit of a learning curve for me just because I am incapable of being patient. But um, kind of like <laughs> Jimmy was saying, things that I wanted to do, I mean, coming out of school, obviously experience isn't what I could say I had yet. You know, time is not what I had, but what I did have was the newest, freshest knowledge. I had experience with multiple different modalities of even within scleral lens fitting. And so uh, what I did to try and get myself out, aside from some of the things Jimmy mentioned, is I enrolled myself on anything online that showed that I was an expert, right? So I signed up for the National Keratoconus Foundation. There's a find a doctor option on there. I um, signed up to be a scleral lens, the scleral lens institute, or SLS. Yep. Yep. Anyways, I signed up to be one of their providers, and most of those are either a basic application or like a case report. So that was easy. And then same deal when I was moving into the area, um, there was teaching opportunities that came up, and I ended up doing some consulting with one of the contact lens manufacturers that. Um, gave me some resources because they wanted to have events in the area. So I ended up doing teaching events through them. And it was, it's great because it, it, one funny thing is you end up seeing the same faces when you do this events in the same area, you know, similar people are interested in learning. 
Yep. But unlike Jimmy, how he went to all the events and just put stuff in action, I feel like so often I see the same people coming up to me every year, almost asking me the same things, yet they're, they're referring me patience, which I totally appreciate. But I think, A, speaking, and especially teaching scleral lenses to to your colleagues, some people might think, oh, gosh, well, if you're teaching them, they're going to start taking all the patients. Like, maybe they won't refer you anymore. But that's not the case at all they may start learning and they at least are able to educate their patients that this is an available option. Yeah. And then B, as soon as they realize that they don't want to do this or it's out of their scope or whatever, then you're their referral source, which is For great. sure. You know, so, if they learn from you to begin with and they get excited about uh, increasing their knowledge, I think most people know deep downside uh, inside that your knowledge is increasing at the same rate. So you're always Definitely. ahead of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when you spend your time thinking and breathing and eating contact lenses every day, it yeah. is much different than when you're trying to do a lot of general things at, at the same time. Definitely. Yeah. Another so thing I did, I did in my practice, sorry, really quickly, is I knew that because there were people fitting lenses for like uh, keratoconus or other scars, obvious reasons why people fit lenses. I started a dry eye center in my practice and it was one of my early pitches to the group. Um, most ophthalmologists hate dealing with dry eyes, so that was great for them. And I knew I loved the population, the Sjogren's patients, graft versus host patients, RA patients that have severe dry eye and can utilize scleral lenses. And so they actually got me a ton of my early patients that I was working with which are always really rewarding patients to utilize scleral lenses with. Yeah. This just demonstrates what a great podcast host you are, because my question to you when you jumped in there was going to be, where does dry eye fit in on your practice? <laughs> <laughs> so that is terrific. So, yeah. um, Jimmy, give me the story. When did you and Roya meet? That's that's a really good question, Roya. I you know, it was on honestly in as students before any of this really came to be, um, we had a mutual friend who I worked with on the um, AOSA board, um, Jazzy. You know Jazzy, right, Roya? Jazzy, absolutely. Um, yeah, so we had a mutual friend. So I knew about you. I don't know if you knew about me at all, Roya, but um, obviously knew, you knew about me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Jazzy would talk about you or something. I, I don't know. There was some some communication that we had at that point, but really, I think it it happened um, through through Valley Contacts, whom we were both doing some work with, and um, probably at GSLS, uh, one of those first years we were out of school. Yeah, we. Um, it's funny you bring this up because we did a we had our one year anniversary for our podcast recently, and we were just like kind of frankly having a discussion, and we didn't even really plan this but we were like i don't know if i really liked you when i first met you but i liked you <laughs> and it was like we were i think because we have similar types of personalities both yeah. like i have a plan and i'm gonna get that plan exactly how i want to do it it's just like we got along but we both had our ideas of like what we wanted to do if that makes sense and yeah. so we both like I, I don't know. It's just a funny, funny thing to think about. I don't even really remember it that much, except that I remember him giving a presentation at Valley Contacts about, um, I don't know, like we've utilizing scleral lenses for dry eye or something. I, I don't even remember what it was, but I was thinking like, man, he's super aggressive about that. But 
Yeah. <laughs> and then now here we are. Now yeah. we work together. Well, you you know how it works is that oftentimes you meet somebody and you pick up on things about them that you don't really like. And then you realize it's because you don't like them in yourself either. Oh, my gosh. You're right. Yeah. I think we do make a great pair. And we've, we've learned so much about, like, how to work together and how to, like, change how people are thinking about certain things. And yeah. Jimmy's so good about using his words to be able to, like, explain things and uh build people up and you know build up whatever idea we're talking about so i think it's been a good good partnership yeah so if if we could and either one of you can can jump in here um uh, so what was the genesis of the podcast and how long did it take before you figured out what you were going to do and how you were going to do it and and what the format is in all of those early stages we're going to jump from building a specialty contact lens practice to building a podcast tell me how that happened for you guys jimmy i'll let you go you know i i would love to take credit <laughs> roy knows that roy would probably like to take credit too um but really you know this was uh all from the creative mind of uh, Chris Tracewell, who mm -hmm. is the marketing director for Valley Contacts. And, and they were chit-chatting about various different things as they do. I know you know Josh and Janice Adams very well. And um, they were chit-chatting about this, and they pitched the idea to us. And, and honestly, I don't think that Roy and I really knew what was going to come of it. But what we do know is that it never – it very, very close – very close to never getting off the ground because we could not come up with a name. And the first <laughs> yeah. name was absolutely terrible. And if you could see the email chain that was going on around this name, maybe you even, even asked about it. I don't know. But, you know, the, the first name, uh, Royal, let her tell you what it was. But um, it was it was bad. And I was just kind of like, whatever, you know, we'll make it. Jimmy's so best. nice. Jimmy's just so like, nice. So he's like, who cares? Let's go with it. He gets, he get, we get the email, and okay, I'll say first, it, the the name was gonna be, is it better one or two or something like better one yeah. or two, <laughs> which is better one or two, yeah, which is something like that. And I'm, again, like I'm not patient usually, and I'm very like, I, I'm just too much. Like She's once I decide something, plus plus. Yeah. So I see it and I'm like, this is literally opposite of what we want. This is not the message we want. And I send Jimmy a message and I'm like, dude, we got to change this. We can't, we can't go along with this. And he's like, Roya, calm down. Let's just, it's okay. Let's leave this First of all, I don't think I've ever told you to floor. calm down. I don't think I've ever said that. In a nicer way. Right. This is yeah. my translation. But like, he didn't say it in a mean way. It was like very nice. But like, just let's get it going. We can change the name in the future. But I was like way too stubborn. Like, no, we're not about one or two or refracting. We're, we're about life and lifestyle. So anyways, it, it's true. It was a whole, it was a whole dilemma. But I think we all settled and love our name. So yeah. that's where we're at. Right. I, I love the name too, but I don't see where that relates to lifestyle though myself. <laughs> well, it's, it's good... kind of quick. It's like, like if you don't listen or you need to like, if you don't listen and pay attention, try not to blink. If you blink, you'll miss what we're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's yeah, we I don't know what it means either, but 
it, it, it has evolved. And for some reason, it, it just felt right and catchy and, and it's become so much more. And I think, you know, you can probably feel this way. And I know you have a ton of projects, uh, you know, it, we mentioned this before when we were getting on here is probably the last thing you wanted to do tonight. You know, everybody hop on here and review this sure. and kind of go through all this stuff. But every time we get done with a podcast, you know, it, it's a great feeling, you know, like I get this feeling of accomplishment and like, wow, I think we just created something that, you know, people are going to appreciate. And then, you know, we see our numbers of listeners grow every week and, and, you know, over the last year and, and some odd months now, we, we've been in, you know, the optometric public and go out places and people are like, Hey, you know, I listen to the podcast or, you know, you said this, or you said that and people are emailing us and texting us. And, and so the sky's the limit with it. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we really don't know what the plans are to be totally honest. It's, it's, it's evolving. Yep. Well, I think it's such a terrific medium and, and I would agree with what you just said that to me, what's interesting is you put it together. It's kind of like reading an article you've written, you're meeting a deadline. You got to get the damn thing done. Yeah. And, and, you know, cause we're so busy. And then when it's ready to be launched, whether it's the podcast or whether it's a column or article and you read it and you go, man, that's not so bad after all <laughs> that yeah. uh, you're quite pleased that, that, um, that actually happened. You know, I was at a, a meeting recently to, to build on this with you guys. It was kind of funny there. One of the attendees uh, mentioned to Ursula, my wife, that she was amazed that when I started giving a lecture, that the first inclination that she had is she wanted to hop on the treadmill because that's how she listened to the podcast. <laughs> and and once she heard me, she hadn't put two and two together, but once she heard my voice, she said, yeah, I looked around and I wanted to hop on a, a treadmill to get my steps in or get my exercise in for the day. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's true. You know, I think too, we put all this work in and you know, it's a lot of prep work The the recording parts, the fun part, everything else is a lot of work to make sure it sounds good. And you asked earlier, how did it start? How did you fo- figure out the format? The format was figured out because we started getting some like early on some like kind of mean reviews on Apple review. Yeah. And it's just like ripped me apart like I couldn't sleep for days and Jimmy's like it's cool we'll get there and I'm like no we must have a format and so that's kind of how our format started so now we have like a way more structured though we like it to be casual but anyway oh gosh the 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 like pro, the what makes it great and worth it is going out and somebody sending a message on Instagram or somebody saying, especially going to like big events like Academy yeah, and people coming up and saying something, it's like, dang, all that works for, for you. Like, that's what I'm doing all this for. And yeah. validating. that is cool. I mean, really, that is, that is so cool. You know, plus they get to live a long life online yeah. and, and, and you know, that like any other podcast, the one runs into, if you hear an episode you like pretty soon, you want to listen to the whole series. And Absolutely. so I, I think that that's really very cool. So Jimmy, for you, I mean, do you think that this podcast world, not particularly your guys podcast, but do you think the podcast world and I care has got a relatively long life? Absolutely. Now on, online, a long life is like what, two to five years. <laughs> 
But yeah, no, I, I do. I think it has a very long life. And, um, you know, I, I have not been, I was not into podcasts really prior to this, but I've become very into podcasts. I'm always listening to a podcast on, on various different things. I just started listening to one called 1619. It's on African-American issues and slavery. I mean, just really yeah. some deep stuff, but very, very interesting. Well done. Um, but it just shows you there's just thank unbelievable scope of information out there and i mean we're never going to stop having stuff to talk about and the technology and eye care and healthcare and and just the just life we're a small community so i think that there's going to be always somebody pushing that envelope forward and and being the relevant you know voice now whether that's roy and i or you or, or whomever you know um we're going to continue to try and be part of the conversation but uh there's definitely going to be a continuance of of this uh on this medium for sure yeah i, I kind of feel the same way and royal what about you Definitely. I mean, especially for a um, for a company's perspective. I mean, there are so many resources, especially marketing resources that people tap into, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, websites, whatever, as ways to get their message to whatever your clientele is. And the cool thing about podcasts is you get personality, you get information, and there aren't that many podcasts that yeah. especially that survive. I mean, I think the numbers I read this recently, it's like 75% of podcasts um, are no longer than like seven episodes. Oh. And so a lot of it's, it's as you start doing it, it's like, whoa, this is a lot of work. So a, you may not make it much further just because you realize what it takes to do it. But it's true. Once you get into it, especially if you're listening to a podcast, when one ends, it's devastating. You're like, I need more of this. <laughs> so I think that people like it. They like another source to not have to sit and read or not have to watch a video and they can learn something while doing other tasks. And well, that's so the I thing. Think it's a, yeah. I, I agree that you can multitask while listening yeah. to a podcast. You can't watch TV that way easily. Yeah, uh, and you can't go online easily to do something else, um, unless you're sitting like in a lecture hall or something. Then you can go online all you want, and not pay attention <laughs> yeah. to what's going on uh, at the front of the room. And so, Roya, tell me, so what do you think about just the future of optometry? Forget the podcast stuff for a while. Sure. You think you're going to have a pretty good run for the next thirty years? I think so. I mean. I think in general, what I hope for the future of optometry is embracing things like marketing, embracing, I mean, the way that our generation is kind of forcing not only uh, optometry, but just industry in general is being patient forward and, but still providing the utmost and best care. So whether it be like, one small t tangent I want to make is people get so upset about hearing about things like Warby Parker. It's like Warby Parker just makes it more accessible to get good looking frames. They may not be the best quality, but maybe people are more likely to actually have backup glasses for their contacts yeah. if they feel like they can buy it cheaper. But why aren't we doing a better job marketing to tell them you can get it just as cheap. We can do just the, we can do this for you too. Like, why are we not competing with these good ideas that are brought to you by people who have tons of, money and basically what i'm saying is like why can't we embrace and be forward thinking too 
We don't need to rely on the things that we've done forever just because. We can use our knowledge and think outside the box, just like we do with fitting scleral lenses. Think outside the box and application methods. And I think the possibilities are endless. Yeah. I don't think that the competition of online retailers are giving the same uh, quality of care. And people who truly care about themselves see the difference and they experience the difference. And then you're there still providing yeah. great care. Like I think to you know to agree with you on that point is when you get these new entrants, the disruptors, when they get into the marketplace, rather than sit back and complain, one should study them. Exactly. To see exactly why they're disrupting. What it, what is the reason that they sat back and said there's an opening for us to get in there and find out if that's a weakness for yourself, and if absolutely. it is a weakness, fix it. Yeah, absolutely. And Jimmy, what about yourself? You feeling pretty good about the next 30 years to take care of that family and get them through college? And <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, I had nightmares and, uh, you know, night sweats about going into optometry when I was in undergrad because of the doctor that I worked with that I that I mentioned. He was very negative towards the professions and, you know, go, do, go be a dentist, go, go do this, go do that, go do this. But again, I had this other doctor... Uh, experience that that uh really spoke to me and i really enjoyed what i did and so i went for it and i vowed at that moment and i tell people this all the time to not 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 prove the first doctor wrong but work tirelessly to make the reality that i know optometry can be um both from a public health standpoint and a personally fulfilling professional standpoint a reality and um that involves being very involved in my association, uh, you know, advocating for the profession as much as I can um, and being the best doctor I can, uh, you know, in in the office with my patients on a one on one basis. Yeah, I, I think it's going to change. I think there's evolution. And, you know, the private equity thing is is very interesting. I, I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, I, I think, you know, again, I just try to be the change and and. Uh, you know, the, the, the podcast hopefully will be a medium to hopefully inspire others to do the same. Yeah. You know, I heard an interesting number, I read it, and, and I wish I could supply you with the source. So let's let's just view this as anecdotal. But <laughs> but what what it said was that there is approximately eight thousand optometrists retiring in the next three to five years. Wow. So let's say that number is wrong you know, by 100%. I mean, and it's only 4,000. That's a hell of a lot of openings in the marketplace. And, you know, it helps explain why there's new schools. It helps explain why we have to uh, take automation that makes sense and build it into practices to become more efficient. Uh, I mean, that number really stunned me. I always figured, you know, you have 1,500 or 2,000 students graduating every year, and you have about the same amount of retiring, and, and the marketplace remains relatively flat, but the increase is going to be significant. So, Raya, as we get ready to close here, do you have any comments you'd like to make for our listeners? Um, Man, I was hoping you'd ask that to Jimmy first. He's always ready on the queue. But I would say... Um, you know, especially in the realm of specialty lens fitting and anything in general when it comes to optometry, kind of like Jimmy was saying, if you want to learn it, there are resources for you. And just going to the seminars, yeah, that's one thing. But 
ask, I mean, there are so many consultants, whether it be through different manufacturers or whatever it might be that want to come and teach you and help you. So pick a patient, pick a staff member and actually practice. Like I can't tell you how many people ask me the same questions or can you, uh, what do I do for this scenario? Like why ask when you could just have someone come help teach you because people want to do that. Yeah. And that's all it takes is one or two tries when you get it and then the rest is history. So don't don't let this door be closed for you just because you didn't do a, a contact lens residency. Don't let that be closed to you. And, and also don't be afraid to tell your patients this isn't a last resort option. This is a great option even early on, depending on what the situation is. Yeah, that's terrific. Jimmy, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to take a similar uh, note, and and I think again, you know, in reference to my past and how I got here, I think that uh, our colleagues are often, you know, the sky is falling, the world is ending, we're going to explode as a profession and just be wiped off the face of the planet. Stop <laughs> bitching and moaning. We are we are in a wonderful profession. Um, make it happen. You know, make it happen. You want to learn something new, make it happen. Do it. You can do it. Um, you know, if there's anything in the specialty lens world, billing and coding, uh, dry eye, um, you know, we'll definitely be hitting that stuff on the podcast. Try not to blink. Uh, feel free to reach out to myself or Roy at email, Facebook, text, whatever. Uh, we'd be happy to uh, reach out and chat with you about that stuff. But you're very, very, very lucky to be an optometrist. And, um, Sky's the limit. Yep. Uh, so for giving us a little plug for your podcast, do you have a website for it also? Or where, where do you have it housed? So we have a website. It's try not the number two blink.com. Um, but you can find it on Apple Podcasts or essentially anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find it on there too. So just searching try not to blink. Even without the number two, you'll find it too. Um, so that we are active on Facebook and Instagram as well. So you can search us anywhere and find okay. us. That, that is great. I really want to thank both of you for participating tonight that, uh, uh, the work that you guys are doing both clinically and, and of course, from a communication standpoint, uh, with the uh, podcast is really phenomenal and it's something to be admired. Uh, by your peers of all ages, uh, the effort and time that you're uh, putting in. Uh, and I really would like to just say simply, just keep up the great work uh, that uh, it really is is needed. And uh, there are more people like you that are needed within the field that are willing to give your time and energies to this. So thank you very much for participating in tonight's podcast. Thank you so much, Craig. Coming from you, that's really, really an honor. I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, thank you, Roya. And Jimmy, thank you also. And to our listeners, thank you for joining this episode of Specialty Lenses Unplugged. I want to thank Conamac for supporting this endeavor and the Panavision team for their production expertise. Please join us for future episodes of Specialty Lenses Unplugged and visit our website at lensesunplugged.com to listen to any of our episodes and learn more about our guests. I appreciate you listening. Goodbye. <laughs>